Welcome to the Health Sprout Podcast, the journey to better health. My name is Dr. Eric Richards, a former financial advisor turned chiropractor, health advocate and advisor. Each week here on this podcast, you will hear mind-blowing interviews as well as actionable tips and strategies that you can implement in your daily life to become a more informed advocate for your own health and wellness. Thanks for joining me today. Now, let's jump into today's topic. Awesome. So, hey, today we are here um, with our next episode, and with me today I have uh, Pastor Sean Jazik, who I uh, affectionately—this is affectionate, by the way—refer to as Jazzik. That's right. Um, so, uh, Sean, before we actually get any further on any of this, can you actually spell your last name for the audience so we can we can get this? Seven letters, one vowel. It's crazy. You can use it in Scrabble. Be an awesome point getter for yourself. But it's J- it would be. It would be. It's That's J-A-Z-D-Z-Y-K. Yep. Yashik in its uh, original Polish language. Wow. Somewhere they added some letters and got it to Jazik. It's like Dominic Hashik. Great goaltender. Very close, yes. Neighboring country, not quite Poland. Yeah, but, yeah. but close. Yeah, cool. Very close. So, uh, so Sean, um, so you and I have known each other now. Um, I'm thinking it's like four years, At maybe more. Five. Were you? Yeah, because did you? You come to the old office building, for a little yeah. bit, so that was that's true. So that would be five years. So, uh, so five years you've been coming, getting adjusted, you know, and, and adjusting. As you know, my mentality is for health, right? Not yeah. adjusting for anything else. Um, and uh, in, in that time, I said there's a few things that I want to talk to you about today. Uh, but one of those things that was, uh, I think, a relatively um, you know, uh, early value to me seeing you kind of, uh, you know, execute some of the stuff through your church, through Thrive Chapel here at Woodstock, Georgia, mm-hmm. um, is your healthy lifestyle. Okay. So your healthy lifestyle, the idea of health, um, you, you had this. So before I met you, I'm pretty sure you had been doing this for a year, maybe, you know, before I even met you, or maybe it was that first year that we met, you were already, you know, I, I remember that you had this kind of, you were doing this. It wasn't me that inspired you. You already had this. You fine-tuned my pursuits, for sure. Okay, well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. Um, but you, and the thing I'm referring to is that you come to the start of a new year, and you basically take the flock, uh, and I'm guessing that's whoever is willing. Not right. you don't force it. You don't. Right. It's not like you know we're not we're not in like you know 15th century Catholicism. Like, <laughs> you're going to or you're going. No, it's not that. But you basically would take them through some kind of a a fasting, juice fasting, Daniel, you know whatever you want to call it, um, um, path. So tell me tell me a little bit about that. What? Yeah, so kind of a, a reset every year. January is a unique time because we probably have eaten and spent ourselves into some kind of debt, right? We've got a yep. few extra pounds from the, the Christmas season, Thanksgiving season that we're carrying around. We probably also have some money uh, that has been allocated to places that we wish we wouldn't have spent at that point. So it's a great time to reset. Let's reset the schedules, the, the diets, the all the patterns of life. So we'll do a 21-day fast, usually that first Sunday going forward into January. And we lay out three different options from the times of fast. There's a half-day fast from sunup to 3 p.m. Not sure why the Bible defines half-day as 3 p.m. There's a full-day fast, which you can kind of get a full day by going another two and a half, three hours because the sun is setting in that 5.30 window or so in January. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's a continuous fast where just around the clock you're kind of in that same mind frame. So like a half-day fast, you can have a really good breakfast before the sun comes up. And then kind of get through the lunch hour, have a late afternoon snack, have dinner, yep. and kind of uh, function that way. Obviously, the, the full day fast and continuous fast, back it up from there. And then, yeah, you've got the Daniel fast, which Daniel did a fruits and vegetables, water only type of fast. 
or I'll even kind of petition people if you're on-ramping and on-roading in some way to fasting, pick some things that are important to you. If it's important to you, it's important to God if you're going to pull some things away. Yep. And I always tell people at the end of my fasting petition, as you so appropriately put it, <laughs> that I'll, I'll never remember the meals that, that I ate this past week, this past season of life, whatever. But I'll forever remember the meals I did not eat because of that exchange and experience with sacrificing for the Lord. Yeah, that's awesome. So there's a few things that you kind of went through there that I really like that you could tell that this isn't your first rodeo talking about it, right? Like you, you tell that you've, you've, you've not only prepared yourself to discuss it, but now having been through it a few times, you get a chance to, to see reactions. And um, I think, you know, through our 60-day turnaround, the thing that I, I like to tell people is that your greatest victory is actually not the health outcome. The greatest victory is the internal victory of confidence mm. that you have now in your capacity to commit to something that you might have thought was untouchable, right? <laughs> you know, it's on the shelf over here somewhere. I can kind of see it over there, but yeah. I can't touch that. And then all of a sudden you do it and it's like, wait a second, how did I do that? How did yeah. I get through that? And I believe that for, for you know, everybody, even, you know, non-believer as well as a believer, um, that strength is a supernatural strength. I really do. I think that the the commitments that we have to to completely you know uh, overcome our addictions because that's really what mm. we're, we're doing right we're addicted to our food in most cases it's the sugar yeah. of our food or the blood sugar result of that food not even the sugar and the taste of the tongue um, but i think overcoming that really is something that takes a little bit it takes something else behind us it doesn't really come just from ourselves so um so now there's a i have a thought there that i wanted to kind of touch on so um you you kind of talk about these different layers, right? You're petitioning them to kind of maybe reach for something that seems hard for them or difficult. Yeah. Where, where do you, how, where does it fall? Like if you had to, you know, if you, if you looked at like the percentages and I don't, you know, I don't need exact percentages of course, but just roughly like, what would you say? Like 10% go hardcore crazy and then 90% are, you know, or, or 70% are the middle and then, you know, 20% of the back. Or like, how does that break down? Yes. Yeah, so we don't have like an actual registration that mm -hmm. we kind of give numbers. So I'm going to give you a gut level response here. Yep. I would guess it, it becomes a campaign that envelops the whole church. Everyone's talking about us. I would guess 80% yep. are participating at some level. Okay. Now maybe some level is I'm not going to drink Mountain Dew for the next three weeks. You know, sure. That, that might be, yep. you know, and I'll say, listen, here are the biblical fast. If you're going to create some kind of step for yourself, just be willing next time we do a fast to take another step. So maybe this year it's Mountain Dew and all sugar candy. Yep. You know, so yep. just continue to take steps. And that's something I really picked up out of the 60-day turnaround is you, you start to, to layer things back into your diet once you've cleansed yourself yeah. and, and find out where those inflammation, where those difficult aspects of your diet you don't even know you have because you're taking in so much stuff. So I'd say 80% are doing something of a complete liquid fast, tw uh, 21 days around the clock. I would say it's probably 15 to 20% of our of our folks. Yeah. Um, I think a liquid fast is easier than doing a Daniel fast. Yeah. Because you have all the fruits and vegetables and nothing's really filling. But you yep. spend a lot more time preparing and shopping and, and making a meal that has some taste to it. When the yeah. point is to push yourself away from the table, to actually insert more of 
yeah. type of pursuit of God. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, it's because, yeah, it's a different thing when you're coming uh, at someone from the perspective, you know, the, of a biblical, you know, reason. You know, I look at this and I think fasting, you know, we look at it, I think it's a biblical reset of what you said. You know, you're coming through the end of the year, you've kind of screwed up a lot of stuff. You know, most people are, um, you know, like you said, uh, they're spent out and they've oh, stuffed out, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they've really, you know, hurt themselves. And so, you know, I think you, you've got two huge you know, values here and the value of hey there's a health you know response that we're going to get out of this is big um and then there's also this you know this kind of a, a, a almost a monetary reset what's it, what's crazy and i think a lot of people don't really understand how um how significant the savings is <laughs> that you can actually create if you aren't eating i mean right. my family loves to eat out yet we eat healthy and it's you know we have to pick and choose our way but we love to eat out and so what's interesting about that is it really is expensive to eat out right especially if you're trying to eat healthy out because you're putting every cheap item you know like oh we can't have that we don't touch that so then you find yourself you know overspending when you're eating out in that that capacity um so you take all that off the table you take whatever your meals that you're typically you know you take your spoilage off the table right because that's just not Yep. If you're going 30 days, you've, you've pretty much in my house. That's two grocery shopping cycles of spoilage, um, which we do it way more often than two grocery shopping. We, you know, it's like five times a week we're at the grocery store. But in spoilage, it's at least like two separate windows of oh gosh, we got to throw this stuff away. Oh, yeah. we got to throw this stuff away. And it just happens. And so you take all that off the table, and suddenly you're like, wait a second. Why do I get all this money in my pocket? Where yeah. where'd this come from? So, um, so okay, so it's cool. Uh, and I know earlier for all of you guys who are data miners out there who are all into like let's just figure it all out. You kind of like rolled over a little bit when he was like, yeah, I don't, you know, we don't have a registration. We don't really know. It's about eighty uh, percent. But that's appropriate in a church setting because what you're doing is you're letting people kind of comfortably walk into this where they want to and comfortably slide away. Yeah. You know, we don't want to actually persecute people if they're not doing what they said they were going to do. Yeah. It's just hey, we're just hopeful we're caring we're guiding we're leading and if you're coming along and it's positive great and if you fell off hey maybe next time will be better um i I think that makes all the sense in the world um so it's so i going through you know 60 day turnarounds in my life the one thing that i found is that uh, i make a big 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 deal about it for people when they're at the starting point you know that's kind of my thing and i scare a ton of people away because of that um because i'm basically letting them know like this is ridiculously hard i'm going to ask you to not touch any grains any legumes any you know you're going to eat no fruits besides a handful of berries a day um you're going to have no sugars of any type whatsoever right like you know no root vegetables you know what are you going to eat yeah no doesn't sound like there's anything left at that point in time, um, you know, in just grains, right? No grains at all. And, and a lot of people have done that now because of, you know, whole, uh, the whole 30 and, and such in the paleo world. Um, but re- re- very rarely do I find people who've done it, you know, ongoing. And we'll get people who do this for, for, for a year plus. You know, we do 60-day turnaround, and before you know it, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm two years. I haven't touched any of that stuff. It's all yeah. off my, my, my list. But what we do up front is I pretty much say, look, you need to kind of, you need to go home and you need to like you need to like make a shrine to this where it's like okay god i want you to see what i'm talking about and bless my efforts now and i'm going to uh, i'm going to i'm going to i'm not going to just choose this frivolously right i'm going to sit home and i'm going to think about it for a day or two and i'm going to you know i'm going to see whatever it is that's going to remind me that i'm thinking about doing this for a day or two and i'm going to pray to god for a day or two and then once i've decided i'm going to tell every single person i know that's what i tell everyone i want you to tell every single person you know what you're about to do 
because I know that your weakness lives in the darkness, mm. and I want to take the darkness away. And the only way I can take the darkness away is you tell everyone else you know, because you're not going to see me enough, right? So that's so it's kind of scary, right? I, I'm trying to scare people and, and, and freak them out a little bit, but I want them to go into this really strong. So do you, what I'm curious about, do you get people, like, do you ever have to separate people, so to speak? I mean, not really, I know, but, but like, oh, come on, Susie, can you stop trying to pester, you know, Janie again? She's doing her best. I need you just to kind of, Susie, you do you, and Janie, you do you, yeah. and everything will be fine. Like, do you ever, you ever see, like, any of that stuff kind of developing? <laughs> you definitely have to start from the beginning by saying, take the law out of this. So oh, very good. you hear me describe what we're trying to do as individuals, as a church, hear the scriptures, you've got to make your decision. God's going to see every bit of sacrifice you make. He realizes it's a sacrifice to you. It'll be a sacrifice to him. With that, um, continue to to allow people not to, uh, to police each other. Like, don't, don't you be in charge of my fast. I won't be in charge of your fast. <laughs> so there are some important steps yeah. there. Uh, and, and I'll just kind of say from the beginning, too, like, if you can suck it through a straw, it's legal. So yep. if that means you want to grind up a steak, that sounds awful. But if you can suck it through a straw, it's it's a legal liquid fast. So just try to break the edges off for people a little bit. Yeah, it's good. Not to get so down in the weeds. Don't make this a legalistic thing. Yep. Jesus spent a lot of time trying to get the Pharisees to unlegalize yeah. what's supposed to be a personal pursuit, a relationship with God. But we've yep. created these rules. You can do this, but you can't do that yep. on yep. Sabbath or with fast. Yep. So. Dressing that down as far as you can is something we try to do. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, right? Again, it's like just kind of separating the, the, the environment. My environment is designed to be this really hardcore, I want you guys to understand how hard it is to really get into a place where you're not addicted to these things, where, I mean, your environment needs to be a loving, you know, emulate Christ environment, right? It's not, it can't be, I'm emulating Pharisees over here. <laughs> and, and, and I'll say uh, from the start, just to so realize your first three days will be the hardest, no matter yeah. the fast you start, because your body's going to be kicking against the effort you're going to give. And I don't think you even feel good until about day five. Yeah. Regardless of what you're giving up. All I agree. the cravings, all the headaches, all the things you're now depleting yourself that your body is screaming for. Yep. So we do say from the very beginning, if, if you're going to do 21 days, give at least five days of a grace period yourself and just feel yep. some yep. junk. Well, it's yeah, it's something you know. So we used to always do this Swero Vive cleanse, which was a Beyond Organic product, Jordan Rubin's company. That company has since faltered and, and it's gone. So that product is gone. Um, so now we're into doing. Uh, we're basically using Suja juice um, hmm. as a, a cleanse. Um, and it took me a while with the juice to find kind of the right one to make sure that people didn't find themselves going over the the, the cliff edge of, of sugars because there are plenty of juices out there that are not really you know low sugar so for us and we do it just for three days somewhere you know usually it's like we do two weeks of, of reducing our food um and getting off all that stuff and then you know at that point i feel like okay if you've survived six a day for two weeks you're probably going to be really successful at doing three days of just juice um and you know i i think about that and i think it's great to think about those people who are doing full hardcore you know 21 days or 30 days, whatever, you know, whatever they end up doing. Um, you know, we, we used to occasionally get people who would do Suero Vive for 21 days. Um, and that's, you know, 600 calories a day at most. But, you know, I, I look now like the Suja juice. The last time I did that, I did three days with the Suja. I think I was averaging about 300 calories a day at most, you know, maybe 200. It was very, you know, and I'm working out and I'm doing all that. And so, and I want to speak to that too, because I know I've, over the years, I've argued in Facebook arguments and it's, you know, I try not to be argumentative, but you know, when it's across uh, a t text, it's hard to tell how, how argumentative you are, right? You better 
Um, so, uh, but I, but my point has been that um, I know some some people who, who kind of push fast out there. Um, they tell people to completely cut their activity down to nothing, and they do it off of this kind of scientific idea that if you're fasting and you don't have the calorie that you need for energy if you push your body too hard, that you're going to have a massive cortisol response, producing cortisol in an attempt to now create you know, a glucose for, for the body. You're you know, creating blood sugar so that now your body has something to utilize for energy. And I look at that and I think you know, that might be the early response for someone who, if you haven't, uh, if you've been burning carbohydrate primarily and you haven't you know, found a way to, to basically uh, create energy from fat, um, that your body will want to go through this process of you know, gluconeogenesis where it basically is breaking down some other tissue to make glucose. Um, but I think what I've seen repeatedly in, I've proven it in patients where we've done a lot of hormone testing, um, is that as you move further along down the path, your body now starts to get used to burning fat for energy. And it's not uh, you know, creating this high level of cortisol production. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, you're, you're getting into this place where now, oh, okay, it's not a negative stress in the body. It's a positive stress in the body. Um, and so you know, I, I think what kind of, you know, what, what's interesting to me then is to think about this. In your world, what kind of results have you seen from people that are, you know, let's, let's say health results first. Mm-hmm. Let's, what, what have you seen from people? So the, the hardest transition to fast obviously is starting it and then ending it. Yeah. Because you go from this time phase, whether it's a five day, seven day, 14 day, 21 day, 30, 60 days, there's how do you phase out of that? So mm-hmm. I've always got to you know, kind of prepare people. This is your 22nd day and beyond plan now. Um, so the hardest thing that, that I see people kind of getting back to is the reason you started the fast is you needed to reawaken some sleeping spiritual aspects of your life. So mm-hmm. by pushing yourself away from the breakfast, lunch, dinner table, one or all of those, inserting more Bible time, praying time, worship time, just sitting meditating on some aspect of, of a spiritual discipline in your life. Now that you go back to eating, preparing the food, cooking the food, cleaning up from the food, you've inserted all this time now that mm-hmm. gets eaten up. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to keep? What's something that you don't set down as you pick up all this other stuff of shopping, preparing, cleaning, you know, eating food, etc.? So much of our life is around this. I mean, you've got yeah. a drink right now. Yep. I drove here thinking, gosh, I'm really hungry. <laughs> I'm going to leave here and go to the gym. Yeah. And I would have liked to have had something in my belly yep. in the midst of this time. So a lot of our life is centered around food. It's very social. Mm-hmm. So just kind of picking those things. So every year I ask people again, what's one thing that you're not going to go back to? Yep. Maybe it's you're not going to go back to bread. Maybe it's you're going to keep waking up a half hour earlier or an hour earlier to keep that time that you have taken out of lunch. But now that you are a business person, a lot of your selling and sales opportunity happens over lunch, you're going to lose that, that Bible praying worship time. Where yep. are you going to grow it and, and, and build it somewhere else? So yeah. just find a thing you can pick up because you're not going to, you got to let go of something else permanently. Yep. And just little steps. Let's not take the next 21 days you can't do for the next 340 days or whatever what, what are some steps you can take so yeah what is your next step starting the fast what's something you're not going to go back to after the fast or two questions we'll ask yeah very good no i like that it's uh it's starting uh, starting with the end in mind is, is pretty pretty important 
Um, and that's one thing, you know, we, we find that uh, uh, people, you know, I get repeat, uh, um, you know, participants in the 60-day, and I've got lifetime people who are always trying to live, you know, we call it 60-day for life, where you've got some basic rules that they live by. Um, and, and that's, you know, one of the things I like to tell people, it's just like, this is for yourself, you've got to know this, when there are no rules, there are no rules, right? It's like one of my most favorite sayings and famous sayings, I'd say to the people who've been through this, is that, you know, through, through knowledge comes power but through the displacement of knowledge to you know memory you lose that power in other words it's it's of no value if you're not relying on it in a daily basis so you know something but if you don't apply that right it's the lack of application that now even though you know where these problems stem from and where these addictions stem from if you're not doing anything to curb them you will be right back where you started just the way it is so that's why i'm a huge fan of the reset anyways i'm like well look you know it's, it's not up to you to just keep it perfect the rest of your life you should continually subscribe to some kind of a, a system a program a time where you submit yourself you know if not to me or to you to some level of rule that allows you to bring it back into control that's kind of how i look at it but again it's very legal it's very legalistic though when you think about it um but it's self-application is the key that's what i always tell people look it's just self-application you know the worst thing you could ever do is go into your office at work and start saying, oh, oh, you still eat those? Oh, I don't eat those. Like that's the, Don't do that. That's, now you're going to start getting, everyone's going to hate you, and then they're going to start, and, and what typically happens anyways is if you're doing something really healthy around people who are doing things unhealthy, they already are going to start judging you a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so you don't eat that stuff anymore? Oh, well, that's, you know, so I'm not, you know, Sean doesn't eat this anymore. Like, you know, that's stupid. Why don't you ever, this is good. No, you're supposed to have grains. That's the dumbest thing. The Bible talks about grains all the time. Why would you not, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, no. They're probably very, very right. The problem is just that you overdid at some point in your life or through all of your life, and now we got to correct it. So, um, so let's. I got. I want to change directions a little bit. So, so you've been doing this stuff, right? You got, and you're in your healthy guy. I had you working out in uh, in CrossFit gyms that yep. that I've owned or had some previous ownership in. You're and you're involved there, and you got some. I mean, you you make it to the gyms, right? And you've you've built some men's groups around that as well, and you've had some good experience with the gym. You got the diet thing that you've been good about. So all these things really positive. You know, health motion, health motion, health motion. And we would say uh, repeatedly here that um, diet and exercise are a good start, but they're not everything, right? They're a good start, but they're not everything. Then we'd go further and say, and then stress management is a really good thing to throw in, but again, still not everything. And then we'd go a little bit further and we'd say managing, you know, nervous system function from a postural standpoint, chiropractic is kind of, we think that's another good addition that keeps going, but it's still not everything. Reducing toxins that are heading in, also another really good additive, but still we're not ever, you know, it's crazy, right? It's still not everything. We still don't have a guarantee of health when we have all these things. And then I could go back and say, now if we could reverse the choices that I've made in my life prior to making smart decisions, that would be one more thing, but I don't have that ability, but that'd be one more, but it still wouldn't be everything. And then if I'm going into uh, uh, you know an actual workshop on genetics, now I'm going to go to the next level. I'm going to tell people, yeah, the, the reality is if I really want to have everything, if I want to hit everything, if I want to hit all areas that relate to health and my control over my destiny as it relates to health, now I'm actually going to go into some scriptures that may seem like they don't specifically relate to health decisions in genetics, but trust me, they do. And I'm going to talk about the sins of my fathers for the third and the fourth 
fourth generations and what has been passed down to, through genetic you know, changes from what they did prior to conception of that, you know, go back three generations, conception prior to conception of that child, and then that person prior to conception of that one, and that, and then, okay, now me. Oh, okay, so what was done? And that's a whole new discussion that we're not going to get into right now, but now we get into epigenetics and we get into phenotype expressions and we get into this kind of transfer of gene. And then I'd say, okay, if we can go back and we can manage all that perfectly and we can do all this stuff and everything, now I have a really good control over my health health, but I still don't have one key thing, which is a definitive lens of what God's plan for my health is, right? Like, I still don't know. I have assumptions from, from the Bible, but I don't really know. So now I'm still left with, well, am I really at 100% of what my health capacity is? I don't even know what that really would look like, right? So, but, but still, when you look at all those pieces, I would say that, you know, you, as far as when you compare yourself to the average person around, are doing more of those pieces that we have control over than most people. Right? I mean, yeah, right. you know, I'd, I'd say that about you, right? I, I, I've seen a lot of your decisions, and I'd say, good job, good job. So now we fast forward to uh, the start of this year, and um, you walk into this year, and everything's going great, and then, bam, what happens? Yeah. End of February, I went to the doctor with what I thought was a bump, and he fast-tracked a series of uh, an ultrasound uh, specialist, and lo and behold, I've got at least a tumor they want to go and pull out four days later, and they wanted to have the surgery the next day. I had to do some insurance things to kind of prepare for this because yep. there was some unknown. So a week <laughs> after first going to the doctor, I was uh, under the knife for a, a tumor. They go in, they find a second one, have some discrepancy as to what results are coming from the tumor, the pathology report. It ended up being four different types of cancer that were hmm. in these two tumors that um, uh, was, was taken out March 2nd, and I didn't get the the final result back until March 26th. So March 2nd, so this is 2020, people, yeah. if you're listening. Uh, so March 2nd, and then March 26th was the final report? Was the final report. secondary pathology report that came back. And so between March 2nd and March 26th, by my calculation, the world changed a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I spent the better part of my six-week recovery also in quarantine because our world had changed with corona. Yeah, exactly. So that's an interesting situation, right? To find yourself in this world where it's like, hmm, do I have access to, if I need to do anything, do I have access to anything? Or can I go? Or is someone going to see me? What do I do? Is it closed down? Is this elective now? I mean, right? Like it, it's suddenly a whole new world. So so, so let's back up a little bit and look at that. So, so that first... That first conversation, what was like? What went through your head? Hey, this is something, or, or maybe it wasn't the first conversation, but somewhere along the line, the conversation turned to, hey, we do need to get in there and get this out for sure. Yeah, it's something that I knew about for a while. It didn't provide any kind of limitation. There was no pain. Uh, there was no kind of uh, of uh, decrease in anything I did. So I didn't think it was a big deal, right? Yeah. And it's never convenient to make an appointment with a doctor. <laughs> Nope. There's probably a little bit of insecurity and all that too. Like, well, what really is it? If it's not really hurting or in my way right now, like, yep. why should I go do that? So that's the first thing my primary care doctor said when, when he had a chance to examine me. He said, Sean, never wait this long again. Like, this, this is just too large to, 
yeah. to allow this type of growth to happen. So he was very concerned and withheld. I knew him well enough to know that he was holding certain words back, wasn't yep. certain, saying certain things, was trying to control the emotion at that point. Yep, yep. Um, but my oncologist after surgery said, hey, I want to read to you your chart, and then I want you to tell me if I have the story correct. And he read it to me, and I said, yep, that's correct. He said, all right, so who's the doctor that fast-tracked this? Because this normally doesn't go this fast. Yeah. Uh, so my doctor was concerned with how large or how long I had let this tumor grow. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, so... Uh, I don't know if I answered that question. Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think, you know, I, I'm going to take that and apply that back to, to situations I've seen. So, you know, in a practice that's not, you know, a practice of primary care typically, though I will say I've been primary care doctor for a number of people over the years, um, you know, but most people prefer to just use a medical doctor, right? Um, typically, the people who want to use me as a primary care doctor are people who hate the idea of the medical model. Uh, <laughs> and I become, you know, their pediatrician and their primary doc. And, you know, then it's up to me to kind of say, hey, make sure you're telling me about anything that you've got questions about because we don't typically do exams here right so I would always say that like if you're actually calling me your primary doc you, know, you got to tell me about everything and there's been some times that I've had similar stories where people have said well maybe I should tell you a little bit more about this and like, well, tell me what we got and then it's like almost 90% of the time it's okay we should do some form of diagnostic on that that's bad. you know like most people are hiding something long enough that it's like yeah it's time for a diagnostic on that just to know um, because you're telling me you've been dealing with this for like five years uh, it just seems like it's you know maybe it's been staying relatively the same but there's something that's progressing so you know and that's and that's typically you know a time to say hey let's take a look at this but I mean I've had people where I've had to actually read path reports to patients because they didn't want want to have anyone else read it you know they bring in a sealed envelope and I told the woman like look this is uh, yeah this is uh, all of this is is malignant uh, you know just growing in all these areas this is you know this, this should have been taken care of a long time ago um, so and, and you, you I mean you had a pretty um, uh, 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 I guess conservative approach to this there's surgery what after surgery what happened next well, once we got the second pathology report where they had realized, although there are four types of cancer, they had been encapsulated. So that's the good news. Um, it was kind of funny because my surgeon, who was not a Christian, who when she first told me it was a tumor, I know I had an emotional response that she's like, oh, gosh, you didn't know where we're at with this. I was like, no, it's, it's moved so quickly. You're kind of giving me yeah. first-hand You're, knowledge of this point. This is the, the reading of the, yeah. the, the oh, diagnosis okay. and prognosis. Yeah, so she <laughs> kind of apologized. But then we're walking out. I said, ma'am, are you a Christian? And she kind of the classic non-Christian response to are you a Christian question. Well, I, I kind of went to a private school when I was younger. Was so. <laughs> private. I love that. Associated yeah. with private school. Now you're in your 40s. <laughs> um, so I just kind of said, hey, well, can I pray for you for me? Yeah. <laughs> so I took her by the hand. It was kind of awkward. Yep. So yep. wet fish that she extended, you know, for me to hold. Yep. Yep. And, um, and we prayed there. And then when she called me a month after I was first diagnosed with a tumor and said, Sean, this is the best possible result we could have hoped for. It used every word but miracle, prayer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, provision of God. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was really kind of neat. It was kind of funny because I had been so exhausted from the corona stuff and passionate church that's now online. Nobody ever prepared us for this. And I'm sick during the whole time. Can't lift more than uh, 20 pounds for a period of time and 60 pounds. Everything's at, at the house. I had turned my phone off one day and it wasn't just that I'm going to turn life off, try to rest a little bit, kind of Sabbath outside of my normal Sabbath routine. She had called off the message to call her that day. I turn my phone on the next morning, and before I can call her back, she's calling me. Hey, did you get my voicemail? I was like, oh, ah, I saw, yeah, I saw that there was a yeah. mystery number there. I hadn't gotten to the end of it, so she kind of beat me back to some of my follow-up. 
and uh, and then began to reveal to me there the, the good news of the testing. So it put a lot of power in my court to choose the path mm-hmm. of, of treatment. So go to my oncologist, we're reading all the reports, we kind of go through everything. He said, listen, you're falling into that quadrant of an 80% cure rate. So Sean, what that allows you to do is to consider one of two paths. You can either do chemo, it'd be, it'd be uh, a round of chemo, take you about three weeks, kind of feel like junk, it'd probably stop short of you losing your hair per se, mm-hmm. but it, it is, a, it is a, a chemical that would be put in your body that's not good for your body, but it is good to help retard any kind of remnant that we can't find with this cancer. Or what you could do is elect not to do chemo right now. We would just have you on a heavy surveillance system or a program for the next two years that would extend out to five years. Uh, as time goes on with, with you know, positive uh, follow-up uh, doctor's appointments, we would extend those, those follow-up times. But if there is a recurrence without the preventative chemo now, you'd have four times the amount of chemo if there is a recurrence. So here's, here's the risk you take. So I just looked back at the oncologist and said, if you're in my shoes or if your son's in this seat, what do you mm-hmm. say? He said, I really like 80%. Yeah. And I really like the fact that your body has done what it should have done to retard this. It's, it's of a higher awareness to you now. You know some of the things to look for. We're going to be on a heavy surveillance system. If I, if I were you, I would avoid the chemo. Yep. So, so you've got two months to think about this. We'll have to have a decision until this day. So I went back, talked to everybody, talked to you, yep. talked to everybody in the healthcare world I could talk to. Everyone kind of said the same thing. Yeah. And to kind of intensify that conversation, we're in a time where contraction is of a higher concern. We're, we're doing all kinds of things to sanitize and to mask up and et cetera. Yep. Um, and what chemo would have done was you know, basically eliminate my immune system for up to six months. So I thought, yeah. well, this may not be the time when <laughs> we're de-immunizing ourselves with all the hand sanitizing and yeah. masking we're doing. I exactly. Also from the inside out, yep. in addition to the outside in, so we decided not to do chemo yeah. and um, felt like it was the right choice, even though I'm kind of an all-or-nothing guy. So yeah. I, you know, I was kind of looking, well, let's just go ahead and do it. I like 94%. Yeah, yeah. what the preventative <laughs> chemo would have done. Yeah. It would have fast-tracked me from 80% cure rate to 94% cure rate. Yep. A 6% chance of recurrence sounds a lot better than 20%. Yeah. Um, so we're moving forward in that. feel very blessed and very fortunate to have this place. Um, I feel like I got a, an extra opportunity that I probably didn't give myself in the midst of it. Yeah, um, and I'm thankful for for where everything has played out to this point. Yeah, so, good had my deal. First clean scan post diagnosis two weeks ago. Good deal. And the doctor was so encouraged by my test results. He said, "Hey, let's go from four months to six months on our next scan." Good so, deal. Those are yeah. expensive tests. Yeah, and the and, and the scan is also. I mean, that's not without without cumulative risk as well. I mean, you know this that every scan you do has some level of, of risk associated with what it starts to put back in the body too. Yeah. So it's smart to try to spread about if you can, but yeah. at the same time, it's a tool that we need if we need it. Right. Um, and I think the thing that, that made it really clear to me, you know, the direction that I would guide you in and I, and I, you know, I've guided a, you know, 400 plus cancer patients over the years now. And I can say that, you know, not all outcomes have been great. I mean, I've been to plenty of funerals and, um, I've had those who I would say, wow, that's miraculous. Like that, wow. how did that go away? Um, there was no, you know, because we've had, <laughs> had a couple that were just literally like the tumors don't disappear that quick. It just wow. doesn't happen. You were touched by the hand of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've had those others that were like, that's like God is like right there with you because your immune system is just crushing this thing. Um, and I think for you, just this getting that knowledge back that 
you had encapsulated, insisted, right? You know, that's what, you know, we talk about kind of the difference between where a benign tumor goes and where a malignancy goes. And a malignant cancer that's encapsulated, insisted is really, it can't, it can't go much more. It, it will keep pushing the borders, right? It'll grow and grow and grow, but it just doesn't get a chance to metastasize elsewhere when it's got that immune system, you know, shell, so to speak. It's like, it's kind of like for you guys, if you try to get a good example of this thing, you got a little vanilla ice cream at home and you take that little chocolate syrupy stuff that gets real hard and you pour some on it, right? And you pour some more on it. And as long as it's cold enough on the inside, the stuff on the outside gets harder and harder and harder. Just keep pouring some stuff on it. That's what an immune system is designed to do when it hunts and identifies and, and it identifies that it doesn't have the capacity to destroy those cells at a rate that it, that it would want to destroy those. Is it creates, it's like, oh, I'm going to create a new home for you. And it's outside of this home. <laughs> so it's cool. So that's, and I, I think that's a huge victory. And that's the kind of victory that when you stop and think about it, it's like, Okay, I have a pretty good confidence in what I did the first time. We don't really know what the triggering event was that made those cells start in the first place, and that's really probably the biggest gap that we have in, in our uh, research and technology in cancer is, you know, where's the trigger? Where's that, you know, what turned it on? I mean, you know, there's some genetic components that are there, but what turned it on? What made it happen? Ah, I, one day I think we'll probably have a really good idea, and that'll help us even more. Um, but, you know, just to know that when it does trigger that you had an immune system that jumped, right? It didn't walk to that party. It jumped. Um, that's pure confidence. And that's the thing that I thank God for is that foresight when creating man to know that man was going to end up in a place where there was going to be problems, internal problems. And I'm going to give you everything you need to be able to handle those problems. Now, whether or not it will work perfectly for you at the time or not, well, it's going to be more on you and, and like I said earlier, your forefathers and whatever the heck they chose to do. And, you know, you know, I, I was raised by a pharmacist father. Dad, love you. Love everything that you stand for. Um, obviously, though, there were times earlier on in our lives where we took maybe you know excessive meds. At least I did. I don't know that, that my dad actually taught me to do this. I think he was always more cautious. Um, but you know, I go through college hockey, and I you know self-medicate <laughs> for for pain. I mean, it was <laughs> I'm always in pain. I, I I would pop ibuprofen like candy. I mean, it was like I remember having a game where I took like 14 to get through the game. Not good, right? And then years later, I become this doctor who's like, oh, I can't believe I was so stupid. Oh, well. So I'll tell you, Sean, I love your story. I'm so, I was so happy to see your announcement, whether I saw it lot, lot, like on Facebook or maybe you even texted it to me, but I saw your video kind of saying, here we are, you know, and it was great and it was dramatic and it was like, I thought, that's awesome. This is like, this is so emotional. Um, and, and I think that's awesome because what that does is it, it puts you in a place of leadership. So, so at this point, I'm going to ask this question, though I think it's pretty obvious, um, has going through this changed your view of choosing healthy decisions? Yeah, so I think the biggest eye-opener for me in all of this was, again, I go into my primary care doctor on the 24th. Hey, we shouldn't have waited this long. So obviously there was a management mistake that, that I could have chosen a better plan there. But as you said, I've, I've tried to eat right. I've, I've tried to work out. I've tried to do some different things to prepare myself for this. So I have surgery, the pandemic kind of shuts us all in. I don't get a chance to see my doctor again for several months. Now it's post-diagnosis. We've, we've got some, some, some positive things building. I finally get a chance to run into him again where I met him at the gym, mm -hmm. ironically enough. 
So it was, it was a very strange emotional moment because here it is. We know we're on the other side. We embrace in all places in the, in the bathroom. Like the <laughs> so we're kind of laughing like, oh, we're, we're both Christian men. You're a doctor, yeah. a patient. It's yeah. weird, but we don't care. But it's weird. <laughs> and um, you know, we're celebrating, high-fiving, we're hugging. And he looks back at me and he says, you know, it's what you do in here and for your body that enabled your body to do what it could and what it should to fight this thing. Yeah. So it's the whole idea of when we have an injury, we go ahead and have rehab to try to get the, the body part back to where it needs to be. Whereas if we can get that prehab word into yeah. our diet, I love even prehab. though there are some forefather mistakes you can't undo, if we can do some things preventatively in the forefront, of difficult coming. Jesus said we would endure trouble, trials and sorrow and tribulation. That would hit us here on this earth. So Absolutely. what can we do as our active, active part? So I didn't have to eat right. I didn't have to work out. I was still 20s, 30s, and 40s prior to this event happening. But I chose to do those things, and I put myself unknowingly in a better battle position to absorb this unfortunate circumstance of our fallen world. Yep. And even in the midst of the fallen circumstance of this world, the power that's in me from the Lord allowed something supernatural that I was out of control of, but able to influence on the right side of it. So yeah. if there's ever been an encouragement to set down the hardening chocolate, which is your example. <laughs> you like that chocolate? Use? That if I don't do that, prepare myself for the trouble that Jesus said would come. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's, I mean, that's beautiful. Those are, I'm going to just say that we're going to end with what those words, you know, are going to leave and resonate with us and our listeners, because um, it's just pure wisdom. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I think I think it's there's always opportunity that people have to say, well, what the heck? Why me? I've been, and I guess it's not worth, right? It's easy for people to kind of just follow that easy path down, like, well, it didn't help me, so I'm done. Um, you know, uh, I've been through plenty of um, of of like, why me? You know. <laughs> being blind in my, my one eye and you know, it's just so many busted things on my body and just there's a lot of stuff that's happened over the years. It's like, why me? And it's like, oh, I know why me. Why me? Because it hardens me to being committed to those, those things that I'd be called to be committed to. Just you know, the opposite of what some people might say, which is, oh, it's, what's the point? But instead, just like you said, harden to those commitments now. Yeah. So, Sean, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. 